Check, check, check. One, two, sell up. Loud and clear.
Good morning, Northlight. We're glad you're here today. If you want to stand, we will get started in worship.
take each step with your confidence because I am your
faultless stand before the throne. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through. behind the soundboard. Why is he way up in front? Everything's fine. Don't worry. Welcome, everybody. I want to just uh, say welcome to everyone that's here in person and online joining us for uh, church this morning. If you can grab your welcome books at the left side of your aisle and start filling those out and passing them down. If you're online, fill in the uh, guest book online. And uh, we'd love to know that you're here and be able to uh, greet any first-time visitors with us uh, with a, just a note. So thanks for being here. Uh, this week, uh, today, is Second Sunday. So if you're here and you haven't been to a Second Sunday before, we invite you back to Room 105 between the services just to say hi, get to know some of the staff, and uh, ask any questions that you have, learn a little bit about North Point. So if you're here today in this service, you'll have a chance to get to there right after the service. Also want to just invite you all to uh, to participate in worship with your giving today. We do have boxes in the back. If you brought a check or cash and you want to put an envelope or a check into the boxes, you can do that. Or if you go online to the app, uh, you can, uh, app or on the website, you can do the online giving, which is uh, uh, one of those convenient things that just works out for everybody is really convenient. For me, though, I have to purposely make a point to pray. It's so easy for that to go out automatically, but I always want to purposely take a moment just to uh, uh, pray every week that that offering that God uses that offering. This week was Veterans Day on Friday, and uh, we want to honor our veterans, active service members. If we have any veterans or active service members here in the, in the service, could you stand up and let us honor you? And Stay standing, stay standing, and if you can, if you have a family member, a family member that's active service, stand up with these guys, and let's, uh, we want to pray over all of our veterans, all of our active service members that we have uh, in the military right now. If you bow your heads with me. Father, we, we thank you for the sacrifice that you've made for us, Lord. And Lord, we recognize that uh, military service is a sacrifice 
And Lord, we thank each, each of these families for the sacrifice that they make for us in our country. Lord, we ask your blessings. We ask your favor on their families. Bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I want to thank Grizzly Adams for uh, doing mid-service. <laughs> it's great to have Jeff. Jeff is one of our elders, Jeff Kimmy. Uh, I uh, just want to let you know that if you're a regular part of North Point, be, be watching for Get to the Point, which is our weekly newsletter that we send out. We'll send out a message this week that talks about affirmation of our elders. Um, it's that time of year where we want to do that, want you to be a part of that. So that'll happen the first week of uh, December, and uh, hopefully you can be a part of that and, and know who those guys are. I was not here last week because I was at my 45th high school class reunion. You know how many old people are at a 45th high school class reunion? Um, just me. It was the weirdest thing. I, um, just one quick story. Um, the, uh, the, probably the coolest thing that happened to me was two guys that I played football with, just in, in catching up with them and hearing about their stories, what, you know, where their life has gone over the last 45 years. Two of them shared with me video of their baptisms um, in the last several years, which was just really cool because they're guys that I played football with that I never would have thought that God would be working in their life in that way. So just a really, really cool thing. Um, this past week, Veterans Day, this uh, past Tuesday was an election, and, and um, I just want to talk about the election for a second. I wasn't here last week to, to talk about it. Um, I just want to encourage you, in, as a Christ follower, that no matter what your perspective is on how the election went, whether the people that you voted for won, the initiatives that you voted for won or lost, um, God is still on his throne. And, um, and he's in control. And so if, if your people won, don't gloat. If, um, if the, the things that you voted for, if they didn't win and, and the initiatives didn't um, pass the way that you had hoped and prayed that they would, don't despair. Because our role as followers of Jesus is to be the presence of Jesus in society no matter what's going on in the, in the bigger picture. So um, be encouraged in that, and um, don't, don't get freaked out about it. Um, God's in charge. That's good. Um, one last thing before I jump into the message. Periodically, about every three months, we, do, uh, uh, we give an opportunity for people to give toward benevolence needs that's on top of our regular offering. Um, so we took up our regular offering. We already encouraged you to do that, to give electronically, that kind of thing, to give at the back. Do that. But, um, but today's a day that we want to do a special benevolence offering that goes to meet needs of people who are in crisis here in the body at North Point or here in our local community. Um, in the last, uh, I think, two and a half weeks, we've had three different opportunities that we've had to help families, um, some in North Point, some not in North Point, 
um, one family that was that just needed some help to get into an apartment that that had been living ho- homeless for a little while. Uh, another family that that just was in a critical need kind of situation, we were able to come alongside them and, and help. Somebody else we were able to help with the utility bill. If you want to do that, you can do that electronically. If you just text the word "give" to eight three three chat NCC or eight three three two four two eight six two two. Um, and you, if the word in the message is give, when that, we'll send you a link back. When that comes up, there's a tab that you can turn to that says benevolence, and you can just give towards that, and that would be great. If you want to write a uh, cash or check, put it in an envelope, put it in the, in the, in the um, containers as you leave, and that would be great. Um, God will use that. Um, we live in a world where people with more knowledge, more experience, um, tell people with net less knowledge and less experience um, how to make choices that are going to change the way that they live their life. That's going to help them experience more satisfaction and joy. That's going to help them achieve success in some area of their, lo- their lives. They communicate those truths for the sole purpose of helping other people escape pain and to live the life that, that hopefully that they want to experience that God intended for them. How their life can have a bigger impact. A parent teaches their children how to act in all kinds of different situations. So that when they grow up, they'll be able to function in society. They'll be able to live a life that's worth living. Um, the, the, the challenge for the parents is teaching their children how to obey at the different stages in life. Right? A coach designs plays for, the, for their offense or defense so that they can win the game. In order for that to happen, the players in that scheme, in that system, have to know what the rules are for their position so that they can accomplish what they need to do on the field so that they can either score touchdowns or prevent, touchdown, prevent touchdowns from happening. A consultant communicates... Uh, to people who want to get, uh, want to figure out how to get a grant. This is the way that you need to write the proposal. These are the things that you need to include. This is what it needs to be done. This is what you have to do. If you obey this, the chances that you're going to be given that grant are the greatest that they can, are the greatest that they can be. A scuba instructor will teach people who want to learn how to dive. Um, what equipment is needed, all of the steps that they need to take so that they can be safe and experience a world underwater that they don't even know exists from this side. Um, When we listen, when we obey, new worlds open up to us in ways that we've never thought thought of. About 25 years ago, I had an opportunity to sit down with a group of college music professors to learn from one of the people who arranged music for a jazz vocal group called Manhattan Transfer. Um, it, was, it was an incredible opportunity to do that. He, th- this guy spoke to us about jazz and about music theory. Um, yes, that's what nerdy college professors do in their free time, uh, learn about stuff like that. It's important for you to know, if you're not a musician, that there are a host of rules that exist in music theory. There's rules about the way that chords progress. There are rules about how keys change. There are rules about um, how in harmonies the different parts move so that the music comes together in a way that makes sense. 
And jazz breaks all of those rules. It's just completely different. Or so I thought before that afternoon. Up to that point, I, I thought jazz was kind of cool. I could take it for about three minutes. And then it was like, uh, you know, it's just noise. They're, you know, they're just going crazy, doing whatever they want. And that's, that's what I thought about it because I was a trained classical musician. It was music, but it didn't seem to obey any of the rules of music theory. That afternoon, the arranger began to talk about music theory and jazz and the very specific rules that exist in jazz about how chord progressions work and that those rules were actually the rules of music theory on steroids. It was, it was much, much greater, uh, a whole new level. Um, in those three hours that that guy talked to us, jazz came alive to me. It was like, oh, that's what's happening when that person plays that, when that person does that. I began to listen to jazz differently. I began to analyze music differently. I began to appreciate jazz, music, jazz musicians, say that fast three times, um, on, a, on a whole new level. Why? Because someone who was familiar, who knew music far more than I did, began to communicate to me what the reality of that world was all about. We're in this series of messages where we're talking about experiencing God. Maybe in the past we've known about God and we've appreciated the work that he's done. But in this series, we've come to recognize that God has worked in the Old Testament, he's worked in the life of Jesus, and that he is working right now all around us. He's at work in the world where we live. He loves us incredibly. And he invites us to join him in his work that's going on in our lives. We, we've learned that we can recognize God's voice, that God still speaks, and that we can recognize his voice through scripture, through prayer, through the church, through the circumstances that are going on around us. We've come to a place in this series, though, that it brings us to a time that we have to make a decision, what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. And, and we have to decide if we're willing, if, if we're willing to, to allow God to do the work that he's invited us into, if we'll, make, if we'll adapt and make the changes that he calls us to so that we can join him in that work. Today we're talking about experiencing God in a whole new way through obedience. Um, let, let me just be clear in this, that the obedience that we're talking about is not an obedience that we, that we live out in order to experience salvation. Uh, that this is not, if we just do what God tells us to do, if we just don't do what God tells us not to do, then we're going to go to heaven and not go to hell. It's not that kind of obedience. It's, it's not a, a salvation issue kind of thing. We're talking about obedience in the context of a personal relationship with God, about recognizing that God knows more about our lives than we do, that he wants something better for our lives than we do, and that he invites us to experience life with him in a way that's far beyond anything that we can ask or imagine, if we'll just listen to him and obey him. It's, it's like we'll begin to see the world that exists underwater 
the first time that you put that scuba gear on and begin to see what's on the bottom of the ocean. Or uh, we'll begin to experience life in the way that all of a sudden jazz opens up a whole new world to, to us if we just obey. Let's take a look at an example of that from Scripture. So if you've got your Bibles, take it out. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 12. You can open up the North Point app, the sermon notes that are there, and follow along with me. It'll be up on screen as well. Um, the, in, the, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, it talks about how the world was created, uh, the stuff that happened. How, uh, in Genesis chapter 11, there's the Tower of Babel where God confounds languages. And then it begins to do a little bit of genealogy that leads up to the life of this guy named Abram. Um, Genesis chapter 12 says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God says to Abram, there's this whole new world out there for you that you don't know anything about. It's far beyond anything that you've imagined. The impact of your life the fulfillment that you'll experience, the legacy that you leave, it's all waiting there for you if you'll just obey me, if you'll just do what I say, if you'll just follow the directions that I give. That, um, that obedience that God called Abraham to was not a salvation kind of obedience. It was, come join me in the work that I want to do in the world kind of obedience. God says to Abram, everything's going to be different, but you won't regret it. And look at what verse 4 says. So Abraham went, Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that, that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. I think one of the most difficult issues for us in obeying God is that when we choose to obey him, it means that we relinquish control of every aspect of our life. When God speaks and we say, yes, we let go of control. Think of the things that were under Abram's control in Haran, the land that he was from. He was close to his parents. He was in a place where he knew the culture and the geography of the land. He knew where the good fields were, where the good water was. He knew his neighbors. He had become wealthy. He had accumulated a lot of stuff. He had servants. Uh, he had a staff who took care of him. He had a wife who was strikingly beautiful. If you read on in, in, uh, Acts chapter, or in um, Genesis chapter 12, it'll tell you more about, that, uh, about her beauty. And God says to Abram, I have this plan for you that I want you to be part of. But in order for you to experience that, you've got to let go. You've got to leave all those things that are under your control. And Abram said yes. When we begin to obey God uh, in his day-to-day in, in -day leading in our lives, we begin to say like Jesus, God, it's not what I want but it's what you want. 
I'll do what you choose, not what I choose. Most people who are successful in the world that we live in, uh, people who are successful by the world standards are control freaks, right? Um, any control freaks in the crowd, you don't have to raise your hands. I can see it on your faces, all right? Um, scientists, business leaders, athletes, politicians, they become successful because they take charge of the most minute details. They pride themselves on taking control of every aspect of their lives. Um, you know, we don't like to be called a micromanager, but we do want to have control, right? We want to control all of those variables in our life. We want to control our circumstances, our schedules, our finances, our future. We don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to give up control to the government, to the church, to our boss, to our in-laws. We want to be in charge. There's only one problem with that if you're a follower of Jesus. It's that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow me. If we're serious about following Jesus, we have to be willing to die to ourselves. It's true to be saved, but it's also true to experience God in, in the world around us in a, in a real tangible way, in the, in the ways that God has invited us to join him in his work. That means that you don't hold on too tightly to anything that's here on earth, that you don't hold on too tightly to your job, to your hobbies, to your reputation, to the team that you root for, to your routine at the gym, to the financial security that you think that you've secured and earned. When God invites us to join him in an area where he's working, we've got to give up control of what we have worked hard to obtain. We have to relinquish control. We've got to give God the keys to the car. Here's a second truth that, that I think that you know, but I want to remind you of this morning. Obedience to God. Obedience costs, but disobedience costs more. What was the obedience that God called Abraham to costly? Yeah, it was. He left everything that he knew. He left his roots. He left his extended family. He left his security. It was costly not just to Abram, but it was costly to those people that he loved, to his wife, um, who, who was leaving her family as well, to his father, who he was, he was moving away from and, and losing that relationship. It was, it, it was costly to his nephew Lot, who was probably along for the adventure, but it would cost Lot immensely in the future. Obedience is costly. It's costly to us. It's costly to those around us. But God says the, the reward that comes as a result of that is, is going to be so much more worth it. Uh, that there, there's a cost involved. Obedience is costly, but disobedience is even more costly. Because we miss the opportunity to partner with God, with the God of the universe, to do something incredible here on life, uh, here on earth with our lives. Um, when... When we disobey, when we say, no, God, I'm not going to do what you want. I'm not going to go where you want. I'm not going to do that. We miss having front row seats to what God is doing here on earth in preparation for eternity. 
We miss the opportunity to be involved with him in a real practical way. God's still going to accomplish his will, with or without us. But if we say no, we end up on the sidelines instead of on the playing field. And being on the sidelines is not the same thing as being in the game. Sometimes disobedience, um, not saying yes to God's invitation to join him in the work, sometimes that means punishment. God says that he chastens, he disciplines those who he, who he loves. And when we say no, sometimes there's punishment involved. But sometimes, and this is really in experiencing God, this is, this is what I want you to get a hold of. Sometimes the cost of being disobedient means that we become oblivious to the work that God is doing all around us. We just simply miss it. And over time, the more that we don't respond to the call that God gives us, the more that we are disobedient, we stop recognizing God's voice. We stop recognizing the way that God is working around us. We stop growing spiritually. And our once vibrant relationship with God becomes stale. It grows cold. And our relationship with him is the only thing that matters for eternity. It's the only thing that matters. When we disobey, we miss out on experiencing God and deepening our relationship with him. One last word of caution about this whole concept of, of obedience. When God speaks clearly and we make excuses, I just want to encourage you to reassess your priorities at that point in time. When God speaks clearly to us through scripture, um, through counsel, through circumstances, through our prayer time, and, and we respond to that and say, no, I'm not going to do that, take a step back, look at the big picture, and say, what really is important? Um, when, when, when we hear God say, you know, why, why don't you do foster care? Why, why don't you adopt? Why don't you take a meal to that neighbor who's just come home from the hospital? You, that job posting that seems like it was written for you, why don't you go ahead and apply for that job? I, I, I can use you in that role. Um, that opportunity that comes up that says, why, why don't you get involved in teaching kids at church? Why don't you make a difference in St. John's or Langsburg or DeWitt and communicate the grace of Jesus in some real practical terms in your community? Why don't you do that? When we have those opportunities and we immediately say, you know what, I could never do that. I'm, I'm not equipped. I don't have time. I don't have the resources. I, I look foolish if I say yes to that. My family would think I'm crazy. Um, when when God calls and you hear yourself making those kinds of excuses, kind of coming up with reasons why you feel like you've got to say no, take a second to take inventory and ask what's really at stake in that opportunity that God invites you to be a part of. Is it that you can't do those things or that you won't do those things? Is it that you can't even with God's help or that you won't? As a, as a staff, we often talk about, uh, about people that we invite to join us in the work here at North Point uh, on Sunday mornings to work with kids, to work in music or, or tech, to work with our first impressions team or our safety team, life safety team. And, and people, people will say, maybe you've said this, if, if I do that, I'll be at church the entire Sunday morning from 9 until 1230 every week. That's crazy. 
I can't do that. Again, can't or won't. The God of the universe asks, invites you to join him in the work of teaching and impacting the body of Christ. And we say, that means I can't sleep in. Or that means I'm going to miss the first quarter of the Lions game. Or we say, you know, if I'm there that whole time, my kids might get bored. Ask yourself, what's really at stake in this? What's going to matter in 10 years? What's going to matter in eternity? Uh, again, let me clarify. Um, we're, we're not talking about working your way into heaven, about putting notches in your spiritual belt. We're not talking about saying yes because no one will. We're not talking about saying yes because you feel guilty about it, because there's a role that needs to be filled. Not any of that. We're talking about recognizing the voice of God and his invitation for you to join him in the work, in his work here on earth. Uh, about adjusting our schedule and saying yes to him. About obeying him. I want to look at another example from scripture that I think fleshes this out in, in, in really kind of a cool way with a, different, a little bit different twist. Uh, Luke chapter 9. Um, Jesus has sent the apostles out. They've, they have done all kinds of work. They've come back together. Uh, they've reconnected with Jesus. Jesus has done a bunch of ministry. And Jesus is just kind of um, worn out after, after teaching and ministering to this crowd for, for a long, long day. Uh, this is Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 12. Late in the day, the 12, approached, the 12 disciples approached Jesus and said to him, Send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging, because we're in a deserted place here. And Jesus said to them, You give them something to eat, Jesus told them. I want to stop right there for a second. Over the years, I've heard a lot of people speak about this particular incident in Jesus' life, this, this particular event. Um, sometimes sometimes the, the speaker will say, oh, when Jesus said, you go ahead and feed him, that he said it with a twinkle in his eye because he knew what he was going to do, and he was just, just kind of yanking their string. Sometimes I've heard speakers say that I think Jesus said this because he was just worn out. He was, you, you just take care of it. Just do something. I just need some time alone. But what if, what if in that statement that Jesus made, he was on the level and that he meant what he said? That in that moment, Jesus was given the disciples the power to feed more than 5,000 men, maybe as many as 10 or 12,000 people who were there. That Jesus was saying, you start the process and see what God is going to do. What if the disciples had begun to break the bread, break the fish up, and feed one person at a time? And God would have actually multiplied that in the way that he did with Jesus just a few minutes later. And they missed the opportunity to be the vehicle that God would use in that moment. They, they had reasons and excuses why it was impossible to do what Jesus was asking. There's too many people. There's not enough food. There's all this need around us. They, they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. And we don't have enough money to go buy the food for all those people. There were about 5,000 men who were there. I wonder if Jesus thought at that moment, let me show you what you just missed out on. And so he gives some instruction 
to the disciples to join him in the work that he's about to do. He told his disciples, have the people sit down in groups of about 50 each. And this time, the disciples come through. They still don't think they have enough. They don't know what's going to happen, but they begin to, to, uh, to take this large group of people and to break them down into groups of about 50. Verse 15 says, they did what he said and had them all sit down. They did what he said. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't big. It wasn't that Jesus didn't ask the disciples at that moment to move across the country. He didn't ask them to make a change in their lifestyle. He, he, he didn't ask them at that moment to sell everything that they had and to begin to live as a homeless person. He just said, just take this crowd and divide them into groups of about 50. Um, was that easy? Probably not. I, I would love to see, you know, a video of what happened there because I think it was probably like herding cats to have this group of 10 or 12,000 people broken down into groups of 50 sitting down on the hillside. How do you do that? But they did. They did what Jesus asked them to do. Verse 16, then Jesus took five loaves and two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. Here's where I want to land today, because I think in that moment, they recognized that when they obeyed Jesus, there was a whole new world that was there for them. Obedience is the moment of truth in my relationship with God. We can say all we want, about our walk with Jesus, about how much we love him and how much he loves us. We can come to church and be a part of the body of Christ, and, and that's all great. But obedience is the moment of truth in my relationship with God. Obedience is go time in our relationship with God. Obedience is where we put our faith into practice. Obedience is when we decide if we're going to walk the walk or just talk the talk. John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Later in that same time, Jesus said, the one who doesn't love me won't keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it's from the Father who sent me. Obedience, obedience is about recognizing the voice of Jesus in the normal everyday kind of thing. The invitation that he gives us to be a part of the work that he's doing. And saying yes. We have a tradition in our family with our kids that certain birthdays were significant markers in their development, in their, in their responsibilities as they grew up, as, in their journey into adulthood. There was a specific birthday where the, where the girls could get their ears pierced. Another birthday where they went to an expensive restaurant on a date with dad. Uh, there was a birthday with the boys when they got their first pocket knife, you know, kind of progressive stuff and, and so on. When they turned 18, it was a big deal. And for each of the girls, it meant going to see Phantom of the Opera on Broadway in New York City. Um, my... Uh, so that you know, know kind of our family situation. We had four girls and then we had two boys. Um, when our oldest son turned 18, I asked him what he wanted to do for his 18th birthday, whether he wanted to go see Phantom in New York or not. And um, he said, actually, Dad, I'd kind of like to go skydiving. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I can still picture it in the restaurant when, when he said that because immediately my hands and feet began to sweat. Uh, I'm not particularly fond of heights, but I love my son. And so the day came when we went to Waynesville Sky Sports and took our training. The training was not bad at all because we were on the ground. Um, putting the skydiving gear on wasn't bad because we were on the ground. But climbing into a beat-up airplane with no door on the side, that was a little scary. Taking off and flying up to 9,000 feet with no door on the airplane, that was scary. Through it all, I could hear my instructor saying, this is gonna be the greatest thing ever. Just do what I tell you, and you'll experience something like you've never experienced before. And finally, scooting over to the opening of the side of the plane, there was for me a crisis of belief. <laughs> do I trust my instructor? Do I think that he knows what he's doing? That crisis of belief, was, was I going to face my fears and obey? Or was I going to chicken out? Did I really love my son enough to overcome my fear? Saying yes to God's invitation to join him in his work, it is the moment of truth for us. Do we trust him more than we trust ourselves, more than we trust what others might think about us? Do you know what, do you know what I experienced as we jumped out of that airplane? I experienced a world that I never knew existed. Plummeting through the air at 120 miles an hour, what's called a terminal velocity, um, was a crazy, crazy thing. And then seeing the chute open and experiencing the exhilaration that comes as we floated back down to earth in silence was incredible. It, it was it was just like jazz. <laughs> it was the most beautiful, crazy, out of control, but in control jazz that I've ever listened to. I hope, I hope through this series that you're beginning to experience, to recognize the voice of God as he invites you to join him in the work that he's doing all around you right now. The only question is whether you'll say yes to his invitation. 1 John chapter 2 says this. This is how we know that we love him if we keep his commands. The, the one who says, I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. And the truth isn't in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Let's stand together. Let's sing.
nothing to fear for you are by my side. I'll follow you anywhere. Oh, Jesus, you came to my rescue. Took my place upon that cross. You redeemed all I had lost. Now my whole world revolving around you. You're the same. today. Hope you have a great week and we'll see you back next Sunday.